Hello and welcome to the What Are We Even Doing Here podcast, the podcast that seeks to answer the question of what are we even doing here from a biblical perspective. We are part of the Christian Podcast Community. You can check out this and many other great podcasts at christianpodcastcommunity.org. My name is Daryl and the word of God says from John 19, starting in verse 28. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all was finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his ghost. And that is the word of God. That is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. This last one, these three words, it is finished. Greek word to And it is finished. Jesus has accomplished what he came to do. It is finished, and we are to trust in his finished work, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, and he is coming again. And today, I have a, a guest whose um, podcast I've listened to for the past several years. It is No Compromise Radio, and our guest is Pastor Mike Abendroth. Not, Aben, not, not, not Mike Abendroth, even though <laughs> last week he was... He was drinking some broth, at least on his show. He was talking about drinking some, some even broth. Uh, I went, Daryl, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. And I appreciate oh, your ministry and desire to have Christ exalted. And those verses you just read, it is finished. You think about the work that the Lord God gave the son to do. And I remember Jesus said, I always do what's pleasing to the father. And that was in his life and then capped off at his death and as you said, Tetelestai, the debt has been paid, paid in full. If you and I went out for lunch and you said, Mike, I'd like to buy you lunch. And you'll say, I've got it covered. I've got it taken care of. Everything's done. I, I'll pay for it all. And that, of course, is what the Lord has done for us, but not just for a meal, but for all our sins. And so I'm glad to be on the show. And last night, a wife was using broth for something to add to a stew or a soup. And I thought, oh, that brings back bad memories of drinking so much broth. My name's Mike Aben Broth. <laughs> well, well, Mike, thank you for coming on the show. And like I said, I've listened to uh, your podcast for the past several years. I think I found it. Um, I was listening to Iron Sharpens Iron Radio, and I think you were a guest on with Chris Arnson. Uh, yeah, probably like two, maybe three years ago. And then whenever I hear a podcast that has a guest on that recommends something, then I go and I download that and I just keep adding podcasts to my listening list. And I drive uh, for a living. I, I do carpet cleaning. So I'm always in the van and I always have new podcasts to listen to, but I make sure that I listen to yours. Um, and I missed it when it, when it wasn't coming out for a while. Um, and then you were, I think, replaying some old ones for a while, but well, those old shows aren't as reformed. So I, if I said anything <laughs> that was Arminian right. or Socinian or any other kind of Indian, I, I, mm -hmm. I, I know that there's room for growth in all of us and maturation. Yeah. <laughs> so Fridays are reruns on the show. Uh, Monday's the sermon, as you know. And I'm just upset, Daryl, that you've only listened to a few years. I mean, you've got another <laughs> 10 years to catch up on. 10 years. Yeah. Well, I also, uh, I think, first saw you in a video. I was researching something about Anne von Scamp because somebody that I know was was recommending her and I was like no 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 and, <laughs> and I was trying to find some resources uh to to, to send them and uh yeah I stumbled across one of your videos about her well we're going to do some more videos but the the the, the drift now maybe it's a purposeful positive drift but 
the old days used to be what's Ann Voskamp saying, you know, I fly to Paris and make love to God or what's Beth Moore saying, just kind of crazy, kooky theological things. And while I still do that once in a while, I, I hope we've graduated on NoCo Radio to things that are of more ultimate importance. And I think about duplex gratia, right? Christ for us, justification, Christ in us, sanctification, law, gospel, not confusing the two, and especially mm -hmm. understanding for the Christian that we receive God's law uh, from a father, right? Through the hands of the son, marrow controversy stuff, so that we're not damned if we don't obey uh, guilt, grace, gratitude, theological covenants. But it's mainly, if I had to summarize it now, instead of me saying, we never compromise, and uh, or at least we don't want to compromise, you shouldn't either. Mm -hmm. That's true, but I want to talk about the one who never compromised. And as you read earlier on, Daryl, uh, to start the show, the Lord Jesus, can you imagine, never compromised, That's tempted in, in every way, but never looked at a woman with lust, mm -hmm. never wanted to covet, never tried to steal, never told a falsehood. And the list goes on and on and on, not just what he didn't do, but positively loving God, loving his neighbor, loving his enemies. And so I try to, I've tried to rescue the show or redeem the show mm -hmm. uh, from this discernment type of thing, maybe to let's talk about the Lord Jesus, but I didn't want to lose the name, right? I, I don't want to lose my 12 followers who know us as no co radio. <laughs> well, it's, it's still, it still fits the show because what you're doing is, when, when the law and the gospel get mixed up still in, in many evangelical churches and many even popular solid preachers are still mixing law and gospel, we can't compromise with law and gospel. So there's, we still have to stand on what the gospel is. It's done. And then, as, as you said, vivification from there, sanctification, vivification. We, we live now in light of what has been done for us. So we can't compromise with any 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 hint of law that comes into the gospel, no, it, it's been done. It is finished. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to steal that and start putting that into my repertoire. <laughs> there you go. One of the hot buttons that I have lately, and you know this, Daryl, is the talk of sanctification. And of course, that ties in with duplex gratia, Christ uh, in us. And we think about his spirit, the Holy Spirit in us and union with Christ. What I've noticed with evangelicals, is if I say, what is sanctification? Most everyone these days, and it's probably because they've been taught this from the pulpits as well, they get law gospel wrong, but they also get sanctification wrong. Uh, consequently, what do they say? They say, well, it's my holy living. It's my faithfulness, my obedience. I am for holy living, obedience, faithfulness, law keeping for Christians, uh, obeying God. I'm not, a, you know, I'm not an antinomian. I'm not wanting rebelliousness or anything like that. But sanctification, properly speaking, strictly speaking, is the work of the triune God, a supernatural, sovereign work, his alone. That's why we call it monergistic, mono alone, erg work. God alone works. God, thank you for sanctifying me. God, please sanctify me. Not we sanctify with God. We're co-sanctifiers. And then what has happened is we've lost the language of sanctification. People say, well, isn't there any response? Well, that's the right question. Is there a response to God's sanctifying work? Yes. He enables us, just like you said, Daryl, to live to righteousness. 
vivification and to say no to sin, mortification of sin. So that's what God enables us to do. And the fruit of that, the evidence of that, the consequences of that, the results of that sanctifying work is obedience. But sanctification isn't obedience, strictly speaking. I know most people use that word and throw it around, but now I'm kind of in my own autocorrect mode where I might say sanctified, uh, but I really mean holy living. And so that's an important topic. I mean, what could be more important than after we're saved, we want to live a life pleasing to the Lord. How do we do that? Is it possible? Uh, who is the one who sanctifies? Right. And, and even the verse, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't stop there. It goes for it is God who works in you both to will and to do. But it's but oftentimes it's, oh, you got to work out your salvation, but it's God who's working in me to will and to Absolutely. Do. Let's keep those verses together. What God has put together, let no man separate. Amen. Or for Amen. you, since you quoted King James, let no man put us under. <laughs> I, I didn't even realize I quoted King James. Wow. That's. <laughs> well, unless there's another translation of John 19 that has ghost for spirit. Did I say ghost? No. You said ghost, didn't you? I might have. Maybe I just went into like autopilot. <laughs> well, sometimes I when like I'm to be fancy. ESD or NAS or something like that, I switch, right? It'll mm -hmm. say, uh, I, I've got something memorized in my mind. And, and that's one of the reasons why public scripture reading is difficult because I, I live in mm -hmm. the New American Standard world but I've been preaching out of ESV for quite some time. So yeah. I have to alt tab back and forth. Yeah. So I was, do you want to just give our listeners uh, like a, maybe a brief history of how you came to Christ, what, how, how he drew you to himself? Sure. I'd love to. Um, there's a little kid's song called climbing, climbing Jacob's ladder. I began to climb. <laughs> <Just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. Climbing, climbing Jacob's ladder. Uh, it, I, it, I grew up in Omaha and I'm thankful for some of my background, not for all of it, but I did learn at the Lutheran church. It was a liberal Lutheran church. I did learn that Jesus was the only way that he was God. God is triune. The Bible's written by God, not men primarily, right? They're uh, men moved by God. I, I learned that uh, what Jesus did uh, was true when it comes to touching the leper or casting out demons. I, I just accepted all that, and it was taught to me from a young age. I never was told you must be born again, though, because the church I was at, being born again was being baptized in, in, as an infant, and I, and I was. So, why be born again if I'm already born into the family through baptismal regeneration? Went off to went on a mission trip and some backpacking trips with other Christians at the Lutheran Church, and I would never say I believe in other gods. I met a girl in California, the lady that actually introduced me to my wife, and she, this other lady, said, "I I have a leader, a religious leader." I said, "Oh, that's good. Well, who's your religious leader?" And she said, "Jesus. Would you like to see a picture of him?" And it wasn't some second commandment violation with some German looking Jesus. It was an actual man standing next to her named John Rogers, this cult leader who calls himself Jesus. Well, I knew that was false, but demons can believe they shudder. I had a false faith, uh, a faulty faith, a damning faith. And my father died in 1989. And I remember picking up a Bible while he was dying thinking, I know the answers are in here, but it's, a, it's an undecipherable book. I, I, can't, I can't figure it out. I could tell you Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but I, I need comfort. I need hope. 
where do I go? So I just kind of tossed it to the side. I didn't slam it down, but just, it, it, I don't, I, I can't understand it. And I began to think to myself, I, I have to figure this out. I have to figure out life, death, heaven, hell. I don't know. I, I could parrot things, but I don't know personally. And my wife, who was just a friend of mine at the time, she said, well, there's a thing called Christian radio. And you can learn the Bible on radio instead of driving around L.A. listening to punk rock and sports talk. Why don't you listen to the Bible? So I started listening to the Bible taught. And I remember one time, Daryl, to fast forward, convicted of my sin, knowing I needed a Savior. And they were having an altar call. And I wanted, I couldn't go up to the altar call. I mean, it was recorded weeks earlier. There was no altar to go to. There's no altar anyway to go to in a Protestant church. But I remember trying to move up front to the, to the dashboard, right? I, I wanted to make some, I didn't know it was simple rest and believe and trust and accept and receive. I, I knew the word believe, but I wanted to show my faith. And I remember almost trying to scoot up to the front by the defroster, right? Uh, to uh, show that I wanted to believe. And the Lord through reading the Bible and through Christian radio saved me. And that was in 1989. And after that, I just had an insatiable appetite given to me by the Lord to know the Bible. I thought, I'm going to know this book. When the pastor said to me, Mike, here's the Bible. Pat was sitting there, Marcy, my mom, and I. And the pastor said, here's, here's the Bible. What do you want me to say about your dad from the Bible at your dad's funeral? I just said, I'm, I'm hurting. I don't know. Pick what's best. But deep down, that was a real pride crusher for me because I don't like to be put on the spot like that. I need to know. So even with bad motives, I thought that'll never happen to me again. If somebody hands me the Bible and says, what's this say? Or tell me something about it. I don't mean perfectly, but I'm going to know that book. And so I just began to study, read, listen. I went to a bookstore and I was looking for some type of intro, boot camp, 101 Christianity. I couldn't find it. I'm like, what is going on here? I just would like to learn the Bible. Anyway, got plugged into a, a local church and began to learn, grow, and, and then um, went into gospel ministry. But the short of it was, I wasn't looking. God brought trials into my life to made me think about eternity, life and death, and then my own life and death, sin and hell. I realized I was a sinner by the convicting work of the Spirit. And then that same spirit through the preaching of the word made me alive, right? He made me alive, gave me new life. And while I was rich in sins, Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, God was rich in mercy and trusted in Christ in 1989. Amen. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks for, I like to, I like to hear people's, their stories, you know, and I know testimonies aren't the gospel, but it's a, a tool that we can use. So, uh, but thank, thank you for sharing that. And what I like is you were listening to Christian radio and then eventually you're making Christian radio. That is well, isn't that, isn't that the wonderful thing What something is, is touching to us, meaningful, important. We we've received something that, that is, that is good like that. And it's no different than a grandpa who teaches his five-year-old grandkids scriptures and uh, the Lord Jesus. And then all of a sudden that same grandkid, he grows up and he's a grandpa and he says, you know, I want to do that exact same thing. Mm. And it was so valuable for me to learn from the radio and now podcast or whatever. Yeah. I thought I'd like to do that. Mm. I first did it for the local church here. I don't know who would ever listen, uh, but it started getting some traction and, you know, it's not that popular, but in our circles, many people listen. 
I was on Todd Friel's Wretched Radio for a while, substituting. So that gave NoCo a little bit of a boost. And if anybody listens, great. If nobody listens, great. I, I get to articulate things. And and uh, I know the, the the Lord takes care of the depth of our ministry, or the breadth rather. And we just want to respond with being faithful and talking about Jesus. And so I, I've, I've traveled the world because of No Compromise Radio. People listening have me come and speak, meeting friends like you. And so I'm very, very thankful. Amen. And we're, we're thankful for you and for your ministry. And we're thankful for Christ. So let's, let's talk about Christ and, and the sufficiency of Christ. So sufficiency of Christ, you know, we, we hear that often a lot, in the, uh, but we don't often hear it taught well. So what is, when, when we refer to the sufficiency of Christ, what is what does it mean when we say Christ is sufficient? Sure. What I try to do sometimes when I'm learning or teaching is I want to use contrasts. So let's say I don't know the Latin root of, of root of sufficiency. I don't know its etymology. I just think, okay, what's the opposite word that will help me as I try to define it? The opposite of sufficiency is deficiency. You're either sufficient or deficient. And when we think about what the Lord God does, Christ the Son, if we think about salvation and then sanctification, is Christ sufficient or is he deficient? If he's deficient, we need something else. We need maybe more than one thing, similar to there's only one God, because if there are two gods, well, we'll give one God 50% worship and the other 50%. I mean, what do we do? And similarly, when it comes to salvation and having sinners redeemed and reconciled, is Jesus sufficient? Is he adequate? Is he all we need? Or do we need something else, someone else? And so in the category of salvation, rather, I think is Jesus sufficient? Well, he has to be. Who is sufficient enough to take care of Adam's original sin that was credited to our account? Who is sufficient enough to die for sins, not his own sins, but for others' sins. And then furthermore, that would only bring us back to point zero, who then is adequate or sufficient to perfectly obey God's law, earning righteousness for others. Jesus didn't have to earn righteousness for himself. He always he already was righteous. He had inherent righteousness. So is Jesus sufficient? And I think he takes care of Adam's sin. He takes care of my sins. He takes care of earning perfect obedience from the law, and I receive those through faith, but I receive them by imputation, by crediting, by him reckoning those things to me, even though I never did them. Even though Jesus didn't sin, he took my sins on him. Even though I didn't perfectly obey, I received Christ. So when I think of sufficiency, Daryl, it's a great question. The first thing I think of, is there other, are there other ways of salvation? And that's why when we think of John, well, there's salvation in Acts 4, there's salvation in no other. John 14, I am the way, the truth, the life, because only this God-man, right? It just keeps expanding. For us to have a representative, he's going to have to be truly man. And for us to have someone who can perfectly obey and perfectly be raised from the dead and conquer sin and death and hell, he's going to have to be God. So we're going to have to have that God-man, truly God, truly man, who could do that? Who is sufficient? Uh, only the Lord Jesus. Then in sanctification as well, is Jesus deficient? Is he sufficient? 
And this could lend itself, Daryl, and I don't know if you want to get there, but this lends itself to how does a Christian grow? How does a Christian mature? How is a Christian holy? Is it Jesus or is it Jesus plus maybe pragmatism, maybe business principles, maybe TED Talks, maybe psychology, maybe philosophy? Is it Colossians 2, Jesus plus something else? Is it asceticism? How do we live a holy life before God who saved us? And now we want to respond with gratitude and live a life uh, worthy of the calling, Ephesians 4. Jesus is not only sufficient and adequate, never deficient when it comes to salvation and all we need. And when it comes to holy living, he's never deficient. He's always sufficient and adequate and provides everything we need via union with him for Christian living. And then he's also lastly sufficient for making sure we get to heaven. His spirit, the Holy Spirit seals us to the day of redemption. We would never make it without him, the Holy Spirit. We would lose our salvation. But Jesus' sufficient work also says to the disciples and now to us, I'm not going to leave you. I know you want me to be here with you. I'm going to give you another just like me. You can trust me. He'll be there. And while I'm just in a body now and will leave, this spirit, he will be dwelling in you and he'll make sure you're conformed to me and he'll make sure you're ultimately glorified. So Jesus is sufficient to glorify us. Amen. That that's beautiful. And that people need to hear that, you know, people, I can never, I don't think I'll ever get tired of hearing what you just said, that Jesus is enough. It, what, because I often forget that he is enough. I often forget to just trust and rest i'm trying to be enough <laughs> you know to, to please you know people to please god when when i can't ultimately please completely anyone but jesus has satisfied god he has made it i, I just recently was a, I, I did a sermon on romans 8 31 to 39 and god graciously how will god not also with him graciously give us all things and one of my points was, what else do we need? He's given us Christ. We, there's nothing else to give. We've been forgiven. And it's by his work and not mine. And that's how we can know that God will never leave us or forsake us. You know, and, and Paul goes on there to say he will never, we can never be separated from the love of God in Christ because he's given us Christ. And it's, it's beautiful. And, and, and people need to be reminded of that constantly. Totally. That's why, Daryl, as you know, on the Lord's Day, we talk about ordinary means of grace. And the first one is the preaching of the word, right? Proper right. preaching and the right preaching of God's word. We have consciences, their law. We live in a world with highways. They're full of laws. Maybe people's marriages are laws. Work is law. Do this and you get a paycheck. And it's just our default. Our default is legality. And that's why when we go to worship on the Lord's day, we hear about the Lord, but Sometimes people don't want to hear about him. They want to hear about what they need to do. I need four extra laws and I need to do these other things. And then God accepts me or I feel good or whatever, but it is incumbent upon all pastors. Certainly you can talk about laws, mm -hmm. uh, but in the right context from the hand of the son and from the father, not the judge. So I, I just think, you know what? It's hard to talk about Jesus sometimes because it's easier to preach with a law heart to law people, but that's why Paul corrects us and says in Colossians 1 28 with, with an odd grammar, I would say we proclaim him or proclaim him. But Paul says 
him we proclaim with the emphasis on the Lord Jesus or Paul with first Corinthians two, two, I already knew ahead of time what I was going to do. I made a conscious, deliberate decision. I determined ahead of time. So when I saw your faces, I wouldn't change. Or I heard a story about certain kinds of weird sanctification or, or gods that I would change. No, I already knew ahead of time. I don't care who you are. I don't care your circumstances. I don't care that there's a bunch of people up on the top of the hill that are temple prostitutes that come down on Friday for worship, quote unquote. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ, even the crucified one. Yeah, I, and I was just thinking of this today that uh, like certain churches or certain pastors, they'll preach and they'll say, well, here's three things you can do to be a better you know, father, a better husband. You know, there's, there's a list. And I can't remember anywhere in the scriptures where any of the apostles were, whether, uh, whether it's Paul or Peter, that write down, well, here's a list of things for you to do to be a better this or that, or even, even in the gospels, four gospels, Jesus is never giving like a list of things to do. Maybe, maybe it's there. I haven't seen it, but, but sometimes these pastors will, and with good intentions and yes, there's practical steps to, to do things. But when, when it's, when it's a list of, of a, like a how to, like you, you said before, like a Ted talk, a motivational speech to, to be better this, and then, it just gets confusing and it does. It, it's, it's this new law that you're putting on people where it's like this check, check marks, check box. I remember going home from sermon saying, okay, well, I have to make sure this list is complete so I can do this better. And it, it doesn't, doesn't work. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, so true. I mean, if people are listening and they think, well, isn't there like some laws that would that be a list? Well, Daryl and I aren't talking about that. Mm -hmm. you know, wives submit husbands love, or in Ephesians 4, don't steal, work, don't be bitter, be gentle and, and tender-hearted, kind-hearted. There are those things. But in terms of a list, right, if I got up and said, like this Sunday, I'm preaching, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And I'm thinking, oh, how do I preach that with my wife in the front row? Well, mm -hmm. if the focus is on husbands, ultimately, then it would be even more difficult. But what if I said, now, let me give you three things that I want you to do to show that you're, you love your wife. I want you to go buy a teddy bear, and I want you to put it in the back of the freezer when she's not looking. And then one day she's cleaning out the freezer in six months, and she'll say, oh, look, there's that teddy bear that my husband gave me. And I mean, that might be something your wife likes, but I'm not going to give it as some kind of list. I could say, you know, we're to cherish and nourish our, our wives because that's what the Lord Jesus does with his church and church's ecclesia. It's, it's feminine. I mean, it's just, that's just what the Lord does. And, and so husbands, you know, you are responsible because of what God has done earlier in the, in the chapters and how he's made you united with Christ and he's chosen you, the sons died for you and all these things that you rehearse your position. And therefore you have to cherish her and nourish her and make sure she's at a good church. And that's not the list we're talking about. If you're listening, we're talking about frozen teddy bear lists, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. That, yeah. Somebody said to me that they use that as an illustration. And, and this particular pastor said, yeah. And when the wife finds it taking too much room, she takes the frozen teddy bear out and starts hitting you with it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. So, so we already kind of hit on one of my questions. How does uh, knowing Christ is sufficient help guide the way? you preach and, and you hit on that. Um, we, we hit on this one a little bit as well, but let's, let's ask it again. How does, how does knowing Christ is sufficient 
guide the way we live. You know. Yeah, sure. Well, I'll add on the preaching side too. One of the things I try to do with the men I teach to preach here and in other schools and elsewhere, I say, you know what, even if it's a proverb, even if it's a section where there's a lot of commands and imperatives, I want you to talk about Jesus for 10 minutes. So let's say they preach 30, 40 minutes, something like that. I want 10 minutes. And they say, well, he's not in my text atomistically, A-T-O-M. And I said, well, he's in the sweep of redemption. He's in the drama of redemption. You might just have to set back a little bit to see where you find him. I mean, he's not in a particular verse. I mean, a dog returns to its own vomit. I mean, Jesus isn't in the verse. But I'll tell you what, I can easily talk about Jesus from that verse. If that's my verse I have to preach, they say this is your only passage or that you preach from. You can't go verses before, verses after. It's not that hard to talk about our pitiful state without Jesus, right? I mean, I had a dog for years. We loved that dog. She died a couple of years ago. Her name was Jetty. And when Jetty threw up, I did not let the kids wipe up the throw up. I said, we're going to have a little lesson here in Proverbs and in Peter. And that dog would look. And first, the dog thinks you're mad at them because they've, they, you know, it's like going to the bathroom in the house. They know that's a no-no. Then it's the throw up. No, I'm not mad at you. And then slowly they start inching closer to that throw up. They start smelling it. They do a little lap or two, and then they just wolf it back down again. And you know what? When you think about sin, how crazy it is, how deceitful it is, how uh, enslaving from Satan it is, that's exactly how we dealt with things. Right. We might wear a we might wear a suit and a nice dress and we might be upstanding citizens helping our next door neighbor. But that's what sin does. And, and you think oh, that is awful. And then you think, well, there's a remedy for that. So we could easily talk about the Lord when it comes to preaching. By the way, that's just my ADD radio where I just have to tell like a little story <laughs> when it comes yeah. to preaching. It's incumbent upon us as pastors to make sure we hold forth Christ, not just with the Lord's Supper, uh, but from the pulpit, because he's the one that in our life and in our preaching, that is the lives of the people, motivates us to obey. So the big picture here, Daryl, as you know, is what's the motivation for Christian obedience? Now, all of us for a day can put our bootstraps on and buckle up and force ourselves to obey, but long-term sustained obedience is not found in law. And if it's not found in law, it's not found in practical tips or TED Talks or how-tos. The law can only guide. As Michael Horton says, the law cannot animate. It gives us no power. It shows us, right? Fonville says it's like the GPS. It tells you to stay on target. You're off course, turn around. But it doesn't get you anywhere. You need an engine, right? You're in a boat and, and, the, and, the, and the, the rudder doesn't do anything except guide you. You need the sails unfurled, full of wind to take you. That's why when we think how important is Christ when it comes to preaching, and is he sufficient in preaching, and then in the lives of the people, and in my life, or the listener's life today, why should I be motivated, right? And you think guilt, grace, gratitude, my great guilt, great grace incarnate, Christ Jesus, and then gratitude. And I respond out of gratitude. I respond because I'm able to. The Spirit of God dwells in me. He gives me strength in the inner man, Ephesians chapter 3. I'm, I'm, I'm motivated out of gratitude because it's no longer fear. I'm, I'm not going to be cut out of the family as inheritance and have my last name taken away because I've done something really stupid or sinful. 
I'm secure and I can trust the father. And therefore I'm motivated to obey because it's not for my position. It's not to keep me out of hell. It's because the Lord Jesus has done this for me on at, at his cost. And you just think about, you think about the week leading up to Calvary and, and what the Lord went through. It's, it's for us, right? It's for the glory of the father. That's, that's certainly true, but it's for us. And, and therefore the direct answer to your question is we need to make sure to show Christ to people because he, the Lord and, and Savior, he's their only motivation. He's our only, uh, we only have ability to obey because of that. Amen. And, and yeah, that's a beautiful, it's that gratitude that's, that we, we show because we have been forgiven of, of, and, and we were all sinners and we all know what we do. We all know what we think, even as Christians, as redeemed, redeemed sinners, we still fight the flesh off, fight temptation off, but we know we are saved. So through looking at Christ and what he's done for us should drive us to obedience, knowing that we won't perfectly obey, but Christ has perfectly obeyed. Mm, absolutely. Over here to my left, I have a bunch of drawings of me preaching hmm. five-year-olds and six-year-olds yeah, nice. and three-year-olds. And they're, they're really awful. I mean, if you, you can't <laughs> see them because this is radio, but they're stick figures. I don't look anything like that. I mean, they're, they're <laughs> juvenile is what they are. Why do I put them up there? Well, because since I accept the little child who attends the church and she or he is listening, I accept what they do. Mm. And that is a key thing in Bible teaching, in reformational thinking. We are accepted, and therefore our works, although tainted by sin, not one of us has ever done anything with perfect intentions. Therefore, our works are accepted. We're not Rome, where we think, you know what, if we're sincere about it, then he'll accept us. No, no. And we're not Richard Baxter, where we'll, you know, in the new covenant, we'll just have kind of lesser laws, not as demanding and strict. No, no, we're Christians and we're in Christ. We are accepted and therefore accepted in the beloved people have their works. Although they fall short, they are accepted as well. And, and that's what's so key because otherwise what, what happens? Well, we're self-righteous like me. We lie to ourselves and say, I might not have a good attitude, but at least I did it. Or if we're honest with ourselves, we become depressed because we realize the Lord has saved us. And then how can we ever live up uh, to these things? And we know we have bad motives. And it's like me going to uh, Burbank, California, a couple of years ago, driving with my wife to teach a marriage conference. And we get in a big fight in the car. I mean, just verbal altercation, not yelling or raising voices, but just an mm -hmm. argument. And I have to ask my wife to forgive me before I go in and teach the marriage conference. <laughs> Therefore, we have to continually point people back to who they are, what their relationship is, and, and why should they obey. If you, I mean, I know people that have done me favors, and just a small favor. I mean, a while ago, somebody gave me some ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. And if they ever asked me for a favor, guess what I would do for them? I'd say, no problem. You need me to come pick you up at the airport? It's something simple as that. I needed something. They gave it to me. It was a gift and I want to respond. I, I, I don't even need to be told, oh, I should do something. Now, of course, we are told how to respond to the Lord's gracious kindness in Christ, but we don't even really have to be told. 
Um, I, I don't even think husbands need to be told love their wives. It's like a universal principle. What we have to be told though is husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church. That's what needs to be told. Not Hindus, Muslims, Mormons, and everybody else, they know we should love our wives. So anyway, I just think when people do something nice to us and for us, like I know somebody that uh, paid for one of my relatives college, that's a lot. If they called that particular person up, that relative up and said, I need a favor. Could you come mow my lawn? It's not drudgery. Right. You're like, that's the least I could do. I, I'm not trying to say it's equal in $80,000 and mowing lawn. I'm just saying it's a small token of my gratitude. Mm -hmm. So therefore, Lord, we could never understand what it's like for you, the son, to experience the wrath of God, like when Pink said, the, the terrors of hell condensed into three hours and poured out on Jesus. How would we ever understand that? We couldn't, but we, we understand, at least by revelation, the immensity of God's love. And then we say, I, I would love to do that. I would love to respond that way. You tell me to evangelize, and, and it would, I would be glad to do it. Amen. Amen. So I got, this has been, been great. And I only don't want to keep you much longer. I got a couple more questions for you or things The the last one's going to be a, a fun question. And I hope you did some study on that, but uh, before I we did, get there, I know what that question is, but I didn't study. Okay. <laughs> um, but, but, but before we get there, I, you know, I have sent you, I wanted you to encourage our listeners, but let, let's do this. Let's remind our listeners. Cause I have believers listening and I'm sure there might be some, unbelievers listening. So would you be so kind as to remind us, what is the gospel? What is the good news of Jesus Christ? Sure. I love the question. Strictly speaking, the good news of Jesus Christ is that he, the eternal son, assumes human nature, right? He, 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 I don't even like to say adds human nature, but he took on, that's a better word. He took on human nature to live the life that God required of everybody. And then he died on the cross for sinners. He really died because the text says he was buried and he was raised from the dead. When I say gospel, that's good news. So by definition, strictly speaking, it's all about the Lord Jesus, this eternal son who took on human nature so that he might be our representative and our substitute to obey for us and to die for our sins. And how do we know it worked? I mean, maybe he sinned. Well, he was risen, he rose from the grave. So that proves that it wasn't his sin because he never sinned. It was for someone else's sin. And God accepted that payment and said, amen, by raising him uh, from the dead. So that's the gospel. But then that, that begs other questions. What's the need for the gospel? This isn't the gospel, but the need for the gospel is every one of your listeners and me included and you, we were born sinful people. Adam's sin was credited to our account, and we consequently were born with sin natures. And instead of love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we, we hated God. We were called enemies of God. And if you go to mass or you're baptized and, and you're catechized and you're a good person and you pay your taxes, you still are an enemy of God. Self-righteous people who think they're right in God's eyes based on what they do, they're enemies of God. Uh, prostitutes and and terrorists and pedophiles, they have no righteousness. They do the opposite. They're unrighteous. 
they too need to be right in God's eyes. And while the gospel is strictly speaking what Jesus did, there's a need for it. Why would Jesus come if everything was okay, right? Why That's, that's Galatians 2. Why would he come and die on the cross if everybody could get to heaven by being good? So there's a need for the gospel because every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're rebels. We're dead in trespasses and sins. We're dominated by our flesh and the world system, and we're deceived people. And left to ourselves, like the fallen angels, we all rightly deserve to be damned. If anyone's listening and you're not a Christian, you deserve by your own actions to go to hell. You deserve to bust hell wide open because you've spit in the face of a triune creator many, many times. And so have all of us. But you, in particular, unbeliever, you need to hear that. And God is merciful and God is kind. And so he's given a solution to that need. You say, well, I, I understand the gospel now and I understand the need for the gospel. How might I receive the gospel? And receiving the gospel isn't the gospel, but it's how do we get those benefits? And it's something very simple and it's called faith. While the need for the gospel is we're sinful, the gospel is Jesus rectified that problem by dying for sinners and living for righteousness and was was resurrected the the, re, the reception of the gospel is by faith alone and so you know something about god if you listen today you know uh, and you say i give assent to that i agree to that it's true and then you trust in your heart you say i i believe that i believe that i'm going to die one day stand before god and then it's judgment it's either going to be Jesus judged or I'm judged. And I would like to have Jesus, who said he's a kind advocate, to be my defense lawyer. And he says, if I believe in him, he will do that. And so I will, by simple faith, take him at his word, trusting, assenting, uh, and, and knowing this Jesus. And you say, well, don't I have to be baptized? Don't I have to be catechized or something else? No, because anything we do is tainted by sin. And therefore, faith has an object, the Lord Jesus, and it can be a weak faith, a simple faith, a simple faith, but it's the right object because Jesus is the strong one, and he's the advocate who redeems sinners and forgives them of all their sins. And if you're listening today and you're not a Christian, wouldn't you like to have all your sins forgiven? I offer that to you freely. You, you come and buy water without price. That's the offer of the gospel. You can freely come. And if you're like me, dear listener, I'm, my, my wife's bugged at me because I've done something wrong toward her. What kind of feeling do I have when I say to my wife, finally, out of all my pride, and I suppress my, 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 my selfishness, and I say, honey, I've sinned against you. Would you please forgive me? And then my wife, being merciful and kind, says, of course, I forgive you, honey. And we're restored. I mean, the whole day is wrecked when we're unreconciled. And now when we're reconciled, the whole day is made. She accepts me. She receives me, even though she knows all about me. And if my wife is kind and merciful and loves to reconcile and to forgive, how much more the triune God who made you, dear listener, loves to forgive sinners. He loves to forgive sinners so much. He sent his son out of love to die for sinners just like you. And I offer you him freely, simply trusting, Lord, I don't believe, but help my unbelief. That even is a good prayer. And so the gospel is what Jesus does. Uh, the need for the gospel is shown to us by the law, and it shows we're sinners and don't love God and don't love neighbor. And the remedy for the gospel is received by faith and faith alone. Amen. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. And 
even as believers, we need to hear that and be reminded constantly. And that just helps us so much to live a life of gratitude. Amen. So, so I got one more question for you. This is the fun one. This is what I've been asking most of my, I think all, all my, all my uh, guests have been getting this question. The question is about Nicholas Kim Coppola. First off, do you know who Nicholas Kim Coppola is? I, I didn't do any research except I figured out who Nicholas Cage was. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Nicholas Cage. So this is the question about Nicholas Cage. And I'm assuming you've seen a few Nicholas Cage movies. I'm not recommending, once again, for my listeners, not recommending all Nicholas Cage movies. There are some fun ones and fairly clean ones that you can see. But Nicholas Cage, very good actor. So, so here's the question. If a Nicholas Cage movie was real life, what character would you want to be? And you can't be anybody that Nicholas Cage is playing. Oh, now, see, I'm looking up Wiki right now, Nicholas Cage, <laughs> trying to find a good thing to say. And so I'll say this at least before I answer your question. Okay. Nick Cage is not to be confused with Nick Cave. And oh. I used to be a punk rocker and Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds were a pretty intense band. And uh, I don't recommend them either. <laughs> so I have to pick someone in a Nicholas Cage movie, but not played by Nicolas Cage. Yeah. So it can't be the character that he's playing, but it, so like a supporting role, like one, like somebody that's in the movie with him, a character in the movie, and you could be that, that person. Well, you know what? This guy is so creepy. I probably shouldn't say this, but just for fun, for the sake of, of all things, uh, podcast wise, I think I'd like to be the guy in con air, John Makovic. Ooh. Malkovich. Yes. Yeah. Oh, what was his name? Oh, uh, I don't know. I can't think of it, but it was, it was, oh man, it's on the tip of my tongue. I'll think of it later. Cyrus the virus. Yes, that's it. Yes. I knew it was something like that. Yes. <laughs> Cyrus the virus. Yes. <laughs> Excuse me. Excellent. How's that good... to rescue it via internet? Yeah. That's a, that's a good choice too. I haven't had that one yet. You know, in this, the short time I've been asking that question, I've gotten, uh, somebody wanted to be the, the Harvey Keitel character from uh, National Treasure. Somebody okay. wanted to be, uh, what's his name? The, the, his sidekick in National Treasure. When I asked Pat Abendroth. He probably said Sean Connery in uh, The Rock or well, something. Well, he, he said this. He said, uh, was, was Nicolas Cage in Snakes on the Plane? Snakes on a Plane? Because I want to be one of the snakes. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, first, I don't think he was. And what? <laughs> yeah, well, that's better than the virus thing. I think there was some kind of crazy snake show that he was in but maybe that was something else i'm just looking at it now leaving las vegas rumble fish wild at heart yeah he was for a, for a period of time he was just taking every role that was offered to him he was just he was just i scrolled down the other day probably two days ago and it said nicholas cage's next movie is one of his best ever and i don't even know what that is and he's actually playing himself in the movie it's like a parody of him <laughs> So okay. it looks it looks very interesting. <laughs> so he's he's playing Nicolas Cage as Nicolas Cage. So well, <laughs> the only other bit of information I have before we should probably wrap this secular talk up mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> is if you go to California and you go to the winery, the Coppola winery, mm. uh, you you have the 
uncle of Nicolas Cage, Francis Ford Coppola. And in when you go to the winery, they've got the desk there from The Godfather. Wow. And so you can see the cool desk. And so I didn't even have any wine when I went. I just wanted to see the desk. Where's the desk? <laughs> it's like at the end, it's like at the end of the tour, you have to go through all this boring stuff first and then Oh, here's the desk. And it's just like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and then you say, well, uh, where's the horse's head is the next. <laughs> it's in the drawer of the desk. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Pastor Mike, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you want to tell the listeners where they can listen to your podcast or whatever else you have. Sure, the pactum.org. No, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was, I was, if I wasn't coming from work, I would have had my my pactum hat. I would have been wearing it right now. Just oh, to... nice. Well, you know what? I'm going to put a hat on that the listeners can't see, but I have a hat. Oh, that's Hino. a little slogan that I have. Hino. Yeah. Um, sure. NoCompromiseRadio.com. Super simple. You can get us on Spotify or iTunes or anything like that. Twitter is at NoCo Radio. And we also have a channel that you can watch videos. And some of the videos I don't think are uh, but two minutes, 90 seconds. And that's the YouTube channel, No Compromise Radio. And then the church that I pastor. And two weeks, it'll be 25 years, 25-year anniversary, bbcchurch.org, BethlehemBibleChurch.org. Amen. So th thanks once again. Thanks for, for, for sharing and, and teaching about the sufficiency of Christ, for sharing the gospel. Uh, so listeners out there, you can you can just keep checking out this podcast at ChristianPodcastCommunity.org or wherever podcasts are found. So until next time, I pray you continue to seek the kingdom of God and find out what we are even doing here. Grace and peace. And drive safe, Grady. I don't look anything like that.